the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Very Bold Radio and Podcast with your host, Steve Teal, bringing encouragement through God's Word and through inspiring interviews. Go to VeryBold.com for information and updates and email Steve at VeryBold.com. And now, here's your host, Steve Teal. Do you believe in all that you see? Cause they say it's a miracle Inside of you I see the light shining through I'm really excited, radio. Facebook Live, you're already catching up on what's going on with Mike and Dana Dutson. We're going to have a great time. This is a story about overcoming adversity and defeating leukemia. With God's help, with doctors, with nurses... With family, with friends, with the community, this is an incredible story that has unfolded in the last year and a half or so, and we're going to hear from Mike and Dana Dutson all about that. And I want you to know what God has been doing in Mike's life as well, because I think it's an incredible story. So let's welcome Mike and Dana Dutson to Very Bold Radio. How are you guys doing today? Doing great. Thanks to, Thanks for having us. Man, I'm so glad. Thanks for taking time out of your uh, your life right now. This is the time you're a high school coach at Johnson. This is a time it seems like, and you're a, you're a middle school coach at Tejeda, right, yes. Dana? Uh-huh. So yes. this seems like a time when this is the one week that coaches can get away and go do something. But you're here <laughs> in the studio. Thank you so much. I'm sure you were <laughs> going to go to Mexico or something. <laughs> so, hey, um, I want to hear the story, and I want to hear from both of you of what has happened. This is 2019. When did this first happen? Maybe, maybe we start with kind of the good news that you got last week. Maybe not everybody's caught up on that. So tell us about that. Last week we went in, uh, we had a bone marrow biopsy, which is really, according to our doctor, was the gold standard of how healthy are you and did the transplant take place. And we found out last week that we're still in 100% remission. Uh, wow. The bone marrow was clean. The blood was clean. Uh, the doctor's smile was bigger than ours, and you could really? tell by that it was just a good vibe, and it was the news we've been waiting for for over a year. Yeah, and that says something about you guys as well, because these doctors and nurses, they just kind of fell in love with you. I mean, they they just did everything to take care of you, it seems like. I mean, I know they do that for everybody, but that big smile that he had was a little bit bigger, uh, I feel like, for you. Oh, it was incredible, and it's funny, because... I also spoke with several of the nurses from the eighth floor, which is the uh, cancer floor at Methodist. And I, I spoke with probably five or six of the nurses on that floor, letting them know, because word spread that our, uh, the results of our bone marrow biopsy. So I was getting texts and, and phone calls from, our, from the nurses we had, you know, back in December and January. Man, what was it about this that you guys bonded like you did with the nurses and with the doctors? I mean, it's... 
Is it you, Mike? <laughs> I think it's part of God's plan is what I think it is. Because I think the day we went into the hospital, and we'll obviously get to that shortly, yeah. but just from the day we stepped onto that eighth floor, something changed in our life. And we happened to meet one of the nurses who I'm still in contact with almost weekly. I think she was put there on that day because we were coming in, and I don't wow. think it was an accident. I think she was there to help guide us and make that transition from our old life to our new journey. I think she was key to that. Oh, my goodness. Uh, do you remember her name? Oh, yeah, it's Kelly. It's Kelly. Okay. Oh, yeah. All right. And oh, I yeah. told her we were going to use her name, and I said, I won't use your last name, but I, okay. we got to give you a shout-out for you and your, your nurses on the eighth floor. So that's pretty amazing that in this journey that nobody wants to take on. I mean, nobody's signing up for this. Nobody's choosing this. But already you could tell that something's happening. There's people that are on your side, and God is putting them in place. Maybe you didn't know that at the time, but God was putting them in place for you. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I mean, as I look back, we had no plan that God had a plan for us. Yeah. And, and now I kind of look back on our journey. It's like, man, it's bright. It's clear as, as day there is a plan. Mm-hmm. And I had no idea that we were part of that plan. But now I look back. And I understand part of the plan. I'm still learning, but... uh, You and me both. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So go back for um, and start with the story. I mean, how did this, how did this, how did you find out you had leukemia? What, what happened? What, I'm going to say, what went wrong at the time that... Well, we were in the middle of spring football. It was May 2018 and I'd had some wrist problems. And I really thought I broke my wrist because I'd broken it before practice doing different drill work. And so I ended up going to a doctor and I'll kind of give you the short version. I went to a wrist specialist and they did surgery on my wrist. It wasn't broken, but there was just a a ton of gout in my wrist. Mm, mm. And he goes, hey, you probably need to get your blood tested because your uric acid level is extremely high because of all the gout in your wrist. So he sent us to a blood specialist, uh, like LabCorp. And uh, they said, hey, we'll get in contact with you in two to three days. And we have found out in our journey when they call you immediately from the blood lab, it's usually not a good thing. That's, that's not the call no. you want right then. It was yeah. like less wow. than 24 hours that they called back and said, hey, you need to go get some more work done. So that's kind of how the journey started with wow. the wrist injury, and then it just kind of stair-stepped from there. Okay. What was going through your well, mind, Dana? And I just remember we were driving back from a doctor's appointment, the arm doctor, like a check after surgery, and we get a call. We're on 1604. I'm driving, of course, because his arm's... And they're like, you need to go see a hematologist, oncologist. And I'm like, okay. And they said, we'll get with you with the details. And I hang up and Mike's like, what's an oncologist? And then it was kind of like, uh. Oh, <laughs> so man. it was kind of just that shock. And of course, on, you know, five o'clock traffic on 1604, I wasn't going to really make a big deal about it. But I was like, it's probably not a good thing. Oh, man. You know? Yeah. So that's, and then just all, you know, June. We he got diagnosed June sixth, and then we were in the hospital June tenth. That's how yeah, that's how fast, fast this thing they was happening. Because they said you need to get in there, like because it's so it was acute, so it means it it's fast growing. Right. He, he wanted us to go the day we found out. He goes, "Can you check in tonight?" And I'm saying we, we, to, we talked about it. and We said there's no way that we could get ourselves mentally ready to do that. Wow. Because we really didn't know what laid in front of us, and I didn't even really know what an oncologist was. So right. I was very. I said, all right, another blood test. And Dana goes, you know what an oncologist is? And I said, no. And she, she goes, that's cancer. And I said, wow. pull, pull the car over. <laughs> yeah. Because uh, it didn't really hit me until she told me that, hey, this is what this is and this is what they're thinking. So that's kind of how it all started. It was kind of a you know punch to the gut 
once I found out how serious the how serious this was, you know, getting ready to be. Right. And so they told you. I mean, they wanted you to go in right away. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you, I, I think you were probably wise enough somehow to say, "Hey, I got to mentally prepare for this." Yeah, and no, it wasn't so much having to go in because he told us we had have to check into the hospital. And I figured, okay, I'm going to go into the hospital. They're going to do some work. I'm going to go home that night and go back the next day. And he goes, "No, you're you're going in for at least 21 days in a row." And that's hit me the hardest was being confined to not my room but to the eighth floor for 21 days in a row, yeah. not knowing what was going to take place during those 21 days. So we needed a couple of days to yeah. sit the girls down, explain to them what was going on, and then we we needed some time to kind of get us mentally ready and what our plan was going to be. So it happened pretty quick. Right. And tell us about your family. I mean, just so our listeners who don't know you guys. Um, we have twin girls that were six, almost 16 at the time. They're, they just turned 17. And then Dylan um, is 20, fixing to be 22. But he And so we had to, you know, we wanted the kids to know everything before other people did. Yeah. Because we'd kind of kept it to ourselves until we really knew. Because we really thought we were going to go in and they're going to be like, oh, it was just a false reading. You know, right, right. we didn't really believe anything was wrong. Right. So that first visit, we waited for about three hours. We finally got in there, and then the doctor, like, literally walked us to the parking lot because I think he knew we were in shock. Wow. Yes. And it was because we had a plan to tell the girls we were going to ease into it, and we were going to wait a day or two. And I kind of got off our game plan. It's a girls. <laughs> <You did. laughs> we need to sit down and just kind of laid it on the table. And they both obviously were very upset, and they were emotional. And Dana's kind of looking at me going, Okay, that's not our plan that we talked about. <laughs> he audibled on yeah, you. Did. Y'all are coaches, so. Throw it out there. <laughs> yeah, I changed the play at the last second. And, and the girls, because Dana's father passed away from cancer. And I oh, think she tied, the girls tied that cancer to what mm-hmm. I had. Yeah. And they knew that his was, it was painful at the end and he suffered a lot. And I think they kind of tied that to what I had. They didn't really know the difference between the two until we told them, explained to them what the situation was. Yeah. Now, I know I know you now. I mean, I knew we knew each other mm-hmm. just by acquaintance because, you know, I'm, I'm up at Johnson a lot. Mm-hmm. I've seen you through the years as a coach. I know now enough to know that you are not a guy who wants to be confined. Nobody <laughs> wants to be confined yeah. to the eighth floor. But, man, that had to be something mentally. How did you prepare for that? It was emotional because I just I couldn't picture myself being inside for that many days in a row. I mean, yeah. you, you couldn't open a window. You couldn't feel the fresh air. I mean, it was we were in there for actually 22 days because I didn't count the first day. And I was upset about that. <laughs> you don't get credit. For that. You don't get credit for that. <laughs> no, and I said, Kelly, sure you don't. She goes, no, we can't count the first day. And I said, well, then it's 22 days. And she goes, no, it's. it's so we kind of <laughs> had a little argument there. But, uh, but that was the hardest part was. You know, trying to wrap my mind, what am I going to do for 21 days? The treatment really didn't even enter my mind because I really had no idea what to expect. But my my issue was being inside for that length of time period. Yeah. And our the doctors and nurses were awesome. My, my oncologist doctor, Dr. Santiago, he goes, I'm going to give you a little bit of advice. He goes, the bed's for two things. He goes, when you're sick, get in the bed. When you're tired and you're going to sleep at night, get in the bed. Other than that... He goes, I don't want to see you in bed. Wow. So I really took that to heart. And even the nurses said, you got to get up and you got to be active and you got to move around. So, you know, we kind of used that as our foundation on how we were going to deal with that extended stay on the eighth floor. Okay, right. Now, I remember um, 
coming up to see you. Uh, and I think probably that first time you weren't in your room is what I feel like. I don't remember. There were a couple times when I'd come up and you weren't in your room. And I, I thought we had a, a runner. I thought we had an escapee. <laughs> it was funny because after a while I started charting how many steps I'd take. And then I quit charting the steps and started charting miles. Because the doctor told me, he goes, the eighth floor record was two and a half miles or something like that there was a record yeah he kind of oh now whether he yeah i'm assuming that's <laughs> so i said that's going that's down, going the down. Yeah. so i think the best day i had was like 12 miles 12 and a half miles in one day because i just put my earphones my earbuds in and just take off walking and i think i'm positive to this day that had a impact on me and the journey that we had was being active and getting out of that bed as much as I could. Yeah. That was huge. I just want to say time out here. I mean, the record, whether it was truly, you know, kept <laughs> yeah. as a record two and a half miles or something, whatever it was, you did 12. Did I hear that right? At least. Yeah. At was, least. Because yeah. we had a little, I had a little post-it notes, as you know, yeah. all over my room of this many steps. We started charting it on a poster board, which... I looked at this morning, and I'd never totaled up how many miles I actually walked, and I figured it out today. And 350 it was, it was miles. 350 miles, you know, give or take. Wow. Uh, by the time we were on the eighth floor. And yeah. I, I think that had a huge impact on. How, how did it have an impact, do you think? I mean, was it the physical? Was it the mental? What, what was I it? I think it was more mental. Yeah. Because when I was walking, I'd put the earbuds in, and I'd have a couple nurses that wanted to walk with me, and I'd. I said, I'm not going to do a lot of talking because this is my time. Yeah. So they just walk with me, and then they really? go, go back to their station, and then another nurse would jump in. And so I'd have some company every You're now and You're kidding. Then. Wow. But, but most of the time, I was by myself. Yeah. And that's where I really did a lot of thinking about things that I'd done, things I'm going to do. And that's when I really started to do a lot of soul searching mm. of how I needed to change my life and why my life was changed. And I never really you know, had the mentality of why me. And I still have never, you know, been mad that wow. why me. I mean, it happened. Uh, and I really think it happened for a reason. I mean, I'm better now than I was a year ago. I want to hear all about that. But I'm, I'm really fascinated because usually that is the first mm-hmm. thing is why me. And Dana was nodding her head like, yeah, yeah that was. He did a great job keeping, I mean, because I think that is natural to ask, like, why is this happening? Right. But he really didn't go there. Yeah, he did a good job. His attitude, you know, there was occasional times where he'd have a down day, but it never was like, you know, mad. It was more like just sad about, you know, being stuck in there. But he was and he you do get perspective. You see people in there that are, you know, can't get out of the rooms. Yeah. you know, so I think that that helps, too. Right. And I got to be honest, I did say why I was more upset about my wrist. I was going, why me? Why did my wrist get messed up? Because I was worried about, you know, I'm not a great golfer, but I'm thinking, okay, this can't make me any worse. <laughs> I was more upset about my wrist than the actual cancer because I knew kidding. that was just part of the plan. And, I mean, you can either fight it and be upset and be mad at everybody or you can get that positive mentality and, you know, and try to overcome it mentally, and then I think your body will follow you. Now, this, this is not good news for the Johnson High School Jaguar receiving core. I mean, when you no. get out there two-a-days, if they're complaining or griping a little exactly. bit, you're like, leukemia. <laughs> I, I beat that. So I think you can run a little harder. Well, I've already texted all of them. Yeah. And I said, I'm back. And I said, be ready for your hardest year. And the response from them has been great. Been really? So awesome. I think they kind of missed, you know, the – 
I guess we all coached in different ways. Sure, yeah. And we had I had such a great support group with the Johnson staff of kind of covering me. Coach Griffith kind of took the receivers mm. under his wing while I was gone. And I felt blessed that he was able to do that. But we all coach differently. Sure. And yeah. you feel like your position guys are your guys. I feel like those are my guys. Yeah. Like my kids. And I've, I got multiple texts all year long from all of them. And I kind of keep a folder in my phone. It's just neat to see these guys as more than athletes. Yeah. And so that's kind of my extended family. And I just told him, be ready when football starts because it's on. And, and they, they sound ready, though? I, I mean, think that, so. Yeah, okay. I think so. All right, that's good. All right, so go back, okay. take us back, just a little sideline. Okay. So, so you're in the hospital those first 22 days. Right. And uh, what point, remind me, um, I know at some point you're walking those halls and you had what I describe as, I mean, a spiritual experience. But I don't know if it's in that first 20 Two days or another block of time? I think time. it was because we'd do 21 days on and then go home for a week. Okay. 21 days. And we did that. The cycle was you did that six times. So the first time, the 21 days, it was just mentally adjusting to the new way of okay. life. That went home for a week, and then we went back in. And that second tour, uh, second tour, yeah. I guess, yeah. uh, I li- the hospital is shaped kind of like an H. And so I'd walk the entire perimeter inside on the eighth floor, and I was on the opposite side of where my room was at. And I can tell you the exact spot where there was a time that I, I just stopped. I was listening to Pink Floyd. <laughs> I, I, I love it. I love it. And I just felt something come over me, and it was like we, people were always saying, hey, we're praying for you. Hey, you're in our prayers. And it really didn't carry a lot of weight with me. Yeah. And at that point in time, I think whatever it is, which now I know it's God, it happened. And I just stopped, and I just felt this present of all these prayers coming down on me. Yeah. And I, I just, I'll never forget that spot in the hospital. I've taken a lot of people that come up and have vi- visited me. I said, hey, this is where I think it happened to me. Yeah. And I, I'll never forget that spot in the hallway. Uh, it's like time kind of froze. And it just you just feel like all those prayers came. It's like, hey. It's time to get healthy now. And that's yeah. kind of the mentality we had. I remember you describing it to me as something like uh, like a ton of bricks or something. Mm-hmm. And you and I wasn't sure how you meant that, like, because you could run into a wall of bricks. And you're like, no, no, it was a good thing. It was like <laughs> holding me up and supporting me. Very much so. Yeah. So tell me, you said for a while, you know, that when someone say that they'd be praying for you, it's like, that's nice. Thoughts and prayers. Yeah, that's, whatever. <laughs> I was real skeptical. I was you know, we're religious people. We believe in God, but we, we were the go-to-church on Christmas, Easter, and Mother's Day. And that was kind of the root. Mother's Day? Hey, you have the trifecta. <laughs> Usually it's just Christmas and Easter. Way to go, Dana. <laughs> <laughs> and um, we, I never wanted to force my kids to go to church. When I was younger, uh, we my parents kind of forced us to go. So I kind of had a bad taste sure. in my mouth. So that kind of pushed me away from it. So we didn't go for a long time. And then once our journey started here... Uh, Coach Ritterman and, and yourself uh, kind of opened my eyes to some different avenues. And Coach Ritterman was going to the specific church that we go to, and he was, hey, you need to come check it out. Listen to his podcast. Tell me what you think. So I'd listen to it in the hospital. Yeah. And every time that he spoke, I, I felt like he was sitting across the table from me speaking directly to me. Yeah. And I told Dan, I said, when, when I'm out, we're going. And I don't think we've missed a day since we've been out of the hospital. Wow. It just, it's that powerful. And now the girls, 
they're asked, hey, Dad, can we go? Yeah. So now without having to force them to go, they want to go. And then we'll talk about it afterwards. I mean, we'll talk about what the pastor, his message was. And I'm thinking, you know, a year ago, we would find excuses not to go. Now we're finding ways, hey, we can't miss it because, and then, you know, the message is always directed right at us. Right. Man, that is awesome. All right. What was that like for you, Dana, for seeing some of this change and transformation? (laughs) Plus, meanwhile, you are, I mean, you're being so strong for everybody. What was going on through your mind during all that? Um, Well, it was just, it was neat. Like, it's sad that a bad thing had to happen, but it was neat because I always knew that was in there with Mike. Yeah. But he he really did kind of not ever want to talk about religion. And, you know, a lot of times the girls and I would go to church and he would just be like, you know, I'm good. But it didn't, you know, and I don't think going to church means you're a good person. Right. But I feel like just that commitment, I don't know, it just makes you feel better. But it was neat to see that, that it was his choice. He was, you know, being the leader of that. And just he would talk more. He was more spiritual. We could talk more about stuff like that. But it, I mean, so it was some a lot of positive came out of something yeah. that was scary, right? You know, right? So, um, but it was good. Yeah, really good. Mm-hmm. And I mean, the the it was hard the twenty two days. But just he really did do a good job. It was like the second he got in there, it was just like he just was like, I got this. You know, just yeah. that coaching mentality. Like, and I think that's why. I mean, he really is like a rock star of the eighth floor. I, was yeah. I mean, I, you just, everybody, coach, you know, and, and <laughs> He's like I'm a like, hey, if you got to yeah. be there, treat people nicely, and they're the ones taking care of you. I mean, so he did a good job of that, because I'm right. sure they deal with people that are just not feeling good and oh, sure. negative, and, you know, so, right. but I tease him about that. I'm like, the rock star of the eighth floor. <laughs> <laughs> Those are my girls up there. Yeah. <laughs> well, tell me, uh, I remember even just being in your room, and you, there was all sorts of pictures and things, but I remember you pointing out. There was something right in the middle that I think Coach Fox had made. Yeah, and I looked at it today, as a matter of fact. Coach Fox is our softball coach at Johnson, and uh, you don't picture your softball coach being a a knitter or a quilter or a painter, (laughs) and she's all of those, and they're outstanding. Yeah. Well, she'd made this sign. It said, Dutson was in the middle of it. My name was spelt out. And she said she started out making it by making a cross out of the T. Mm-hmm. And then she turned it into my name, and then she turned it into little side notes on the picture. So every room that we were in, I'd always put it right in front of my bed. So usually the last thing I saw when I went to bed and the first thing when I got up, I'd see that picture, and I'd look at the clock and say, okay, let's you know go to work. But <laughs> that picture just carried so much weight. One, it, became, it came from a, a, a dear friend, and she texted this morning. I probably get a she daily did. text from her <laughs> yeah. checking to see how I'm doing. Wow. Wow. But uh, th- that yeah. painting, her artwork, it's just I look at it and I could get lost in it because I look at the cross yeah. and then I see my name come out, expand from oh, the cross. Man. So it was pretty powerful. That is really powerful. And I don't think that would have had that message if she would have just given it to me at home or I would have just seen my name and all the the little artwork she had on the side. But now you look at it, and it's like that cross just – it's like it's a 3D picture, which it's not. But it, right. it just seems like the cross is there. And then my name is surrounded by it. So it's pretty powerful. Right. Talk to me about um, some changes you've seen in your own life through this battle, through God. I mean, are you the same person you were a year and a half ago? What's different? What's What can you tell me? I think the biggest thing it's given me was patience in everything. I never used to be the most patient person. Uh, I, and I... <laughs> I have to turn her mic she didn't, off. She did not on that one, though. That was impressive. She is very patient, so she's just like, I'm going to let him talk. So it's, you know, it's like when we'd go to radiation, we'd have to wait for an hour to go in there. And I, 
it's like normally I'd just be bouncing off the walls. And, you know, the, the chemo would be late coming up to the room. And, again, I'd normally I'd be oh, upset. Man. Yeah. And it's yeah. like, you know what, it is what it is, and it'll get here when it, when it gets here. And so I think it's given me a lot of patience in my life on, on how I look at things. And even today, sitting in traffic, you know, I'm not that grabbing the steering wheel upset. It's like, you know, just a, a more, I think, a calm demeanor. Yeah. But I still have the 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 idea that you know there's a sense of urgency but i don't think i'm as dramatic or excited as i usually would have would have been and i think a lot of it has to do with the spiritual part of it i think he's just kind of god has kind of chilled me out a little bit mm-hmm. but i still feel like that fire like i can't wait for football to start right uh, and that's why i've told the guys i said hey be ready because we're going to hit it running so that excitement's there, but yet the, the calmness is still there. Yeah. Do you think the guys will notice that as well? The have the the players. I mean, will that look a little different? I know you have a fire. I mean, I know you have. I mean, God put that fire in you, that intensity, but that calm or that patience. Is it possible to be different? Then we'll ask your receivers later. <laughs> <laughs> I think they'll see it. Cause I like to think of myself. You know, I'm not a big screamer or yeller. If I do raise my voice, it's because they're all spread out all over the field. But yeah. yelling at a kid, I, that's not my my style. But I think they're going to see a lot more of the teaching aspect, you know, the, the calm, hey, this is why we're doing this, and if they do this, we're going to do that. And I think a lot of it has to do with my basically new outlook on life. Yeah, You know, it's not slow pace, but it's more controlled. Right, man. That's awesome. All right. Talk to me about some of the community getting behind you as well. And part of that is Coach Riddiman and his wife, Patty. I, I, I know Coach, uh, he loves you. I mean, and it seemed like he was visiting you or he'd take midnight calls if he needed to or, or whatever. But also the community, I want you to get to, uh, you know, the, the game between Johnson and Lee and what that meant to you as well. Explain what that is. Start with kind of the community and Coach Riddiman or anything you can talk to there. Yeah, so I've known Coach Riddiman. I've coached against him for several years. I think he's got 30-plus years in, and I'm going right on 30 years. So mm. I've, I've known Coach Riddiman most of my coaching career. And I, I've liked him as an opponent, and I've, he's more like a brother now. Yeah. Uh, through this journey, our relationship has just been solidified with him and Patty. Yeah. They've been so involved in checking on how we're doing, checking how the kids are doing, how Dane is doing. And Ron has been supportive because a lot of coaches – he basically was coaching a coach short this year, mm. and a lot of coaches wouldn't have been maybe so understanding, and I would have been replaced. That wow. Was, that was never an issue, and a lot of that had to do with Coach Riddiman and Coach Funk over at the, at the head office at the athletic department. But I think it all started with Ron, and then he kind of opened it up to the community because he had always asked me, he goes, do you mind if I share your progress with the booster club and then they're going to spread it to the community and I said not at all you know I don't like being in the limelight but I do think people so many people were asking hey how are you doing what's going on and or a lot of them were afraid to ask yeah and I think coach Riddiman was that bridge between the unknown with us and then the Jaguar community I think he was that bridge and I yeah. think it was a good transition yeah so we had team Dutson uh People have the wristbands, still do. Um, and then talk to me about why Johnson Lee, what, what happened there with that football game? Well, I'd coached at Lee several years ago, and a good friend of mine who I'd started coaching with, uh, Danny Closa, who's the head coach there now, um, he'd gotten together with Ron, and they set up a, a Jag Vol 
kind of fundraiser for for myself and my yeah. family and they'd made shirts and the, all the donations from the shirts went to went to us to help pay the bills and it was kind of cool because the Johnson coaches had the Vols Jag shirt on and Team Dutson on the back the lead coaching staff had their you know volunteer red yeah. on and it had Team Dutson on the back and during the national anthem all the coaches went out to midfield and it was every other coach it was a lead coach Johnson coach wow all the way across from like the thirty to the thirty, dang for the uh, pledge of allegiance and the or the national right. an- anthem. And it, I tell you, it was pretty emotional to see because I have a lot of good friends on both sides. And Coach Close and I have been friends for years, and I know he had a big part of this. And it was kind of cool because I'd never seen that at the high school level where both, where both staffs came together before the game. Uh, it was it was pretty emotional. So you're just always about doing something new that's never been done if you're, walking, <laughs> if you're walking 12 miles on the eighth floor if uh first time i mean you've been around a lot of football games to have all the coaches united like that that's incredible it was pretty neat i was up in the box and that's one of the few times i really wished i was down on the field because you wanted to shake everyone's hand and tell them thank you and give them a hug and it was just neat to sit up there and just see all your close friends and your opponent, who are good friends, yeah. all joined together. And they all had, like, TD on the back of their helmets for Team Dutson. So that was – Wow. I think Coach Cueva had a lot to do with that. He ordered the helmet stickers for the team. And uh, it, it, was pretty, it was pretty cool to see the communities come together like that. That is awesome. All right, Dana, what was that like for you? It was amazing because uh, I coach at Tejeda, and to me that's the Johnson community too. Sure. But kids, I mean, I still – it's neat. I still see kids Well, when we're in school. They'll be walking down the hall, and I'll see hashtag Team Dutson on the back of their shirts. And, wow. I mean, people were amazing. A bunch of people, you know, just the generosity. Coach Fox uh, did a GoFundMe um, thing for our medical bill. I mean – How did that go? It was – I mean, that's pretty it, cool of Coach Fox to do amazing. that. Really? It was Unreal. overwhelming how generous people are. And, I mean, I can't imagine how we would have made it without it. You know, so it's yeah. just, I mean, you know, you figure out a way, but it was, it helped so much take that off the, the worries. Right. You know. Because I didn't even like, I didn't even look at it because I didn't like the idea of people giving us money. Yeah. And I had a hard, hardest time. And Dana goes, you need to look. She goes, don't look at the amount. Messages. She goes, look at the people uh, that are reaching uh, out to you. And I had players that I'd coached in, you know, the, the early 90s wow. that live over in Ireland. Uh, that, what? That yeah. sent a text. His name's Aaron Colvin. He was a defensive tackle. And I'll get a text from him probably once a month just checking to see uh, how we're doing and what the how's the prognosis. But and I do want to say something because she was talking about how Tejeda got involved in it. Yeah. Danny Close's wife, Desiree, who is the Powell's leadership at Tejeda, she was – very much involved in it. I had all kinds of posters in my room from the Tejeda Pals, and she was very involved in the Tejeda aspect as well. So it, the wow. Closa family really had an impact as well. Uh, it wasn't just Ron and Patty, but it, it was a it was a w- group effort on that. It was right, cool for yes. sure. Yeah, didn't she help with Dana's birthday too? Yes, was she that a really secret? Did. Oh, did no. I just let the secret out. No, she did. It that was, was awesome. the best birthday present she ever had. <laughs> what did you get? Gosh, well, she knows me pretty well, so it was like she just shot for herself, and it worked out. <laughs> I'm gonna do it again next year. Too. It worked right, out so right. good. Everything was a hit. <laughs> exactly. Well, I know you had a lot of plenty of ups and downs through this. I mean, this wasn't just over in 22 days. Mm-hmm. This has been going on for over a year, um, 
and it's just incredible, incredible to see. And I've I've been through, as many of us have, knowing some of the, oh, man, we got to pray for this, or, oh, man, you're back in the hospital. I mean, it has not been easy, so I don't want our um, our listeners or our viewers to think, I mean, the people that know know how mm-hmm. tough a fight this was, but, man, you've really fought the good fight, and you've done it as a family, and um, it's incredible to see and it's inspiring to me. And unfortunately, one thing you told me was, hey, if I'm ever in the hospital, you're going to be there for me. And uh, I, I don't want that to happen because, first of all, you're very tough. <laughs> and my wife is right there, and she knows I'm not. So um, I, I don't want that day to come. Right. So I'm praying against oh, that. I still remember the first time that you met Dana. And we'd gone home for one of those week, week off from the uh, treatment and any time I got a fever, we had to come back into the ER. And so I was home for like three days, fever spike, so we had to rush back to the ER. Yeah. And uh, we were on our way up to the eighth floor, and they didn't have a room. And they put oh, us on a different brutal. floor. Yep. And you'd called and say, hey, can I come see you? And I said, well, I, I really wasn't doing real well that day. I think I was in the garage when I texted yeah. you, though. <laughs> and, and Dana had never had never yeah. met yet. And she was worried about you coming up when I wasn't doing real well. And for some reason, I think God pushed you and said, hey, go see him. Because that was really the first time I really was sick. Yeah. And I, I, I can remember you sitting on the bed with me praying. Yeah. Dana's worried about, okay, this is my first impression with Steve. And Mike's <laughs> not doing well. And I'm panicking. And, and I think Dana actually fell asleep. And she was worried. because did, did I snore? And <laughs> People fall asleep during my prayers all the time. If you really need a good night of sleep, forget the prayer, go right to the preaching. But I I think you were sent that day for a reason because you got us over that hump. And after that, I don't think I ever was sick like that again. Mm. And it was kind of crazy. Dana's introduction to you was during one of our lowest times. Yeah, I, I don't think that was an accident. So yeah, it worked out pretty good. And yeah. I, I know that was one of my biggest weaknesses, like asking people for help. So I'm so glad you just came in there because I needed help, <laughs> and I was not going to ask for it. But it was because I remember we both had our hands on his back, and he was so hot. Oh yeah, he was yeah. just on fire, yeah. burning up. So. Yeah. Well, it's been really neat for me to see because there have been so many people, and we've only mentioned a few, but there are so many people supportive. And um, even going back when I think I saw Coach Fox post about you, and maybe it was the GoFundMe right. or whatever. So I reached out, what is going on? That was the first time I knew about it. But um, even just different people saying, hey, you know, we really need to step up. They need our support and everything, whether they are going to ask for it or not. And it's really been a blessing and an honor for me um, to see, you know, God do these amazing things and the doctors and the nurses Mm -hmm. and the community. It all works together. One of the personal, you know, things I've been spoiled by is uh, your prayers. You know, I mean, uh, I remember the first time saying, hey, I'll pray. And you like my prayers uh, and and everything. But I was like, man, it's it's your turn. So I can't remember if it was with Coach Rinneman that uh, you first prayed or if it was just you and me. But I think the first one was you and I. It was yeah. thin on thin ice that first time. <laughs> <laughs> and I learned from Coach Rinneman's advice, pray before you do. <laughs> You're a hard act to follow. You know, that's funny because really your prayers, I, I love you just you just talk to God and it's just real as can be. So I'm always blown away. That's I'd, I'd rather, you know, I go first and you go second because they always <laughs> blow me away. So, uh, man, I, I want to tell you and, and, you know, you'll jokingly tell me that uh, I'm stuck with you or whatever, but man, I, I'm honored. It really is a blessing. 
blessing uh, to be not a, not just a part of this battle and fight, cheering you guys on, but to see what God has next. And I know it's going to be good. What do you guys feel like God has next or now or just enjoying the day for <laughs> once? <laughs> I think it's a day-by-day deal. Yeah. I mean, because every day I get up, there's not a day goes by. I don't think of the people on the eighth floor. Yeah. I, I mean, they're always really in my mind. I got a post-it note on my, in my bathroom on my mirror from one of the night nurses who got me through some pretty dark times. And it was just a simple little message she wrote on there. And Dana put it on my mirror <laughs> when we got home for the, for the last time. And I look at that every single day, just as kind of a reminder of, okay, you, you think you're having a bad day or you think things aren't going your way. Think back to this day. Yeah. Think back to this day. And it's that, I think, has helped me so much enjoy just one day. And I, someone sent me, it's funny, on my phone I've got copies screenshots of different scriptures and spiritual yeah. sayings and and i keep them all and there's a lot of them that's one I, I wish i could remember off the top of my head but it basically said look what god's done for you today mm. you know don't worry so much about tomorrow yeah appreciate what he's done for you today yeah and that's the one i put a lot of weight on is look how lucky i am today and i, I know she's tired of hearing me say mm. well a year a year ago <laughs> A year ago, and I go back and look at our pictures from a year ago, and it's like, wow. I mean, we've every day now is a blessing because we're getting back to normalcy yeah. each day a little bit closer and a little bit closer. Yeah. Well, you have been something else in this, Dana. <laughs> oh, I, I, yeah. Yes. <laughs> you know, it's true. You, I want to hear a little bit. Can you tell me a little bit about Dana's role in this and how she supported you? And then, uh, you know, I was about ready to sign off. And then I was like, well, I want to hear a little bit about Dylan <laughs> and the girls as well, because I know this is a family thing that might, might be a little bit emotional. But Dylan, uh, we've got a picture of him in there in the hospital with you, I believe. Um, so, so talk to me a little bit about Dana, first of all. Well, our I think our journey started about eighteen. Our anniversary is Saturday, but eighteen oh, years. Congratulations! <laughs> and I really think that's when our journey started because it took seventeen years of God getting her ready to put up with me <laughs> for the last year. Uh, I'm sure she was putting up with you the whole time, Mike. <laughs> Don't give yourself too much credit. <laughs> just kidding. But it's just uh, I think she had the hardest part because really all yeah. I had to do was lay there and do what the doctors told you to do and. Yeah, some of the treatment wasn't the most pleasant, but you didn't have a choice. I mean, you either wanted to live or you wanted to, mm. you know, just let go. And she had to balance me in the hospital. She had to balance the girls at home by themselves. Mm. She was going back and forth to the hospital and back. So I really think she had a lot harder time than I did. Mm. Um, my job was to lay there and to get healthy. Hers was to juggle all these things going on outside of the hospital including her job, yeah. taking care of me, taking care of the girls. So I don't know if I would have traded spots with her. I, I obviously right. didn't want her in my spot. Right. But I don't know if I would have wanted to do what she did. And she still does it today. Like when we first got out of the hospital, I was taking just a massive amount of medication. Yeah. And I can't even pronounce one of them. And <laughs> she can just rattle them all off. And it's just been a blessing even now just to support because obviously she's been there from day one. Right. But she knows, you know, when I'm in one of those zones, <laughs> how to talk me off the edge and yeah. kind of remind me and put my feet back on the ground. So uh, I wouldn't want to do what she went through. Right. He's At least he was, I mean, he really was a good patient. I think it would have been a lot harder if he would have been, you know, negative. He really, I mean, yeah. yes, everybody has their days. 
but he really overall that that makes a difference you know right. it's easy to support somebody that's trying real hard to make it work you know right yeah and do their part so all right well talk to me uh talk to me about dylan and what what he had to do he i don't think with him being out of town he didn't realize i think the severity of mm-hmm. how how severe this was yeah. and i think finally it, it it dawned on him uh when because he was worried about the blood the blood transfusion the bone marrow because the the way they used to do it was they they digged in your hip and get the the bone marrow right from your hip bone and it was very painful for the donor well they've changed at least for our our situation all they had to do was draw blood from him and he was he was very nervous about doing that and it's funny because all three kids were a match and the twins were actually a better match and wow and riley really wanted to be the one to give i mean she not that reagan didn't yeah she reagan's not a big needle fan hey i'm with you she, so she was all for riley being excited <laughs> i got you back i got you back riley and they both of them especially riley were, were very upset that they picked dylan it was just a better match oh. of being a male, male older. and a little bit older yeah and not that Dylan wasn't excited, because I told him, I said, dude, you're getting a chance to do something that not very many people get to do, and you wow. get to do it for your dad. And I don't think it hit him until he was actually in the hospital, and they had him hooked up, you know, quite a few machines getting the bone marrow out of him. And uh, I think after that, I think he realized what he had done, because I think his friends were telling him, hey, that's pretty cool. You got to do that for your dad. Mm. I mean, you basically saved his life. Right. And I said, dude, you, not, you don't have to buy me another birthday present. <laughs> I said, you, Father's Day, yeah. no more. Right. Dude, you, you punched your ticket for a while. So, <laughs> so I think his role in it, it, his was a little bit delayed because I don't think he really saw the severity of it until he actually gave the bone marrow. And he saw how, what that was going to do to my life. Right. Wow. And that was pretty cool. Yeah, it's really cool. All right, what about Reagan and Riley? What, uh, either one of you speak to what they kind of went through during this? I think, you know, I think it was hard. You know, teenagers, sometimes it is hard to make sure they know, You don't want to scare them, but that you want them to know how serious it is. But they, like, daily saw him in the hospital more than Dylan did. Mm-hmm. So I think earlier on they kind of caught on. And they were they were really good about, you know, doing what they needed to do and a lot of times we once they got their driver's license i would go at one point they'd take a separate trip so that we was could, during the middle of this <laughs> madness crazy. yes yeah we made it through crazy. that the driver's license because that was his he he likes to be the driving instructor i do not but we made it we got the you know that we passed the test and we but anyway then we could kind of spread out the visits and so they did a good job of that and i mean when I was 16, I wasn't parking in parking garages. Right. So, I mean, they had to, like, really, like, kind of just figure it all kind of, out. Yeah. You know? And, and so. I, and I think they had fun because they liked decorating the room. Mm-hmm. So they mm. did the lava lamp and the, the beads and all the stuff in the room and the yeah. posters and pictures. And so they enjoyed when we switched rooms. They got to redecorate the other room. <laughs> yeah. I told them, I said, you know, the objective is to get out of here. <laughs> we don't want to decorate every room. But I, I think that was kind of their way of saying, hey, we're, we're cool with this, and this is kind of what we can do to help. And what I really didn't want them to do, I didn't want them spending a great deal of time in the hospital. Yeah. So even if they came for five minutes, I was cool with it when they said, hey, do you mind if we leave? And I said, no, I, I want you to leave. I don't want them to think they've got to spend an indefinite amount of time in there. Now, Dana didn't get that option. <laughs> I just didn't think it was fair for the girls to make yeah. them have to sit up there and, you know, stare at me. And 
I think it worked out pretty good. Right? Yeah. Wow. Well, that's uh, that's very thoughtful as well. All right. So medically, I mean, we're we're good. What what do you have to do to continue to be that way? I don't. What's what's that look like? I've got very few restrictions. The biggest okay. thing is I need the, the sun with what I have. They call it graft versus host disease. Okay. And the sun apparently has a big impact on reversing that cycle. So the more I'm in the direct sunlight, it slows the process down and a lot of times sets you back from what you just completed. That's why I'm, you know, this summer I've worn more long sleeves yeah. than probably my entire life. Yeah. And we've gotten a bunch of clothes that are like UV-rated clothes, like for football practice okay. and, you know, the big bucket hat. So my biggest thing is staying out of the sun, <clears throat> the direct sun. And even during the summer, I've tried to do a little bit during each day during the heat of the day to kind of get ready for when football practice starts. Okay. So I'm, I'm not, you know, it's not a shock getting out in the heat. So Right. And I'm still, you know, we're walking, we're logging miles, you know, quite a bit during the day and just trying to keep that, get your body back in shape again. So, and I'm almost down to zero medication. Man, that's uh, incredible. Yeah. I think I'm taking one, she'll know the name of it. I, I Valtrex. Told you. She did. <laughs> We're taking one Valtrex every other day, and then I've got some blood pressure medicine that I'm taking because blood pressure is a little bit high, but really medicine related to the leukemia, I'm doing one pill every other day. Yeah, wow. So that that was a ple- – instead of taking a – I'd call it a bucket of pills. <laughs> yeah. It would be like a shot glass full of all the different medications, and, you know, i just take it all at one time. And right. It was nice to go down to one pill a day or every other day. Yeah. So the sun thing, that's got to be a little bit hard because you're yep. a guy who loves to be outside. That's, that's yeah. the hard part. Yeah. And that's uh, – and Coach Redman, we have a plan for the okay. when football starts. We kind of did that during spring football. And I, I, I'm learning to listen to my body a lot more. That's good. I fought mm-hmm. it early on, and, I, and I'd pay for it. Like I'd go out to practice, and I probably should have went inside because it was so hot. I fought through it, and I was like sick for like two or three days after that. And I've learned when I get to that point, back off, get yeah. in some shade, cool off a little bit. So, you know, it took me a while, but I'm I'm figuring my body out a little bit more, and I can alleviate being sick by just being smart. Right. Wow. All right. All right. Well, um, anything else you want to tell our listeners, our friends that are watching, or our viewers that are catching this for the first time. I just wanted to thank not only the Johnson community, but our the whole Northeast community, because mm-hmm. I had... Uh, Coach Harris from Churchill, I've met him once or twice on the field. Uh, they had more than one donation that they gave uh, to us to help pay for bills. Uh, just very impressed from a, a coach that I hardly know yeah. was was so giving in the Churchill community. And I had church, coached Churchill for a few years. I remember that. Yeah, mm-hmm. I was there. And uh, I think the connection there, which I had no idea that he knew that, uh, he was very generous, and a lot of the other coaches in the district as well. Yeah. And it was kind of neat to see the coaches in San Antonio, the Coaches Association, donate money. Uh, and it was hard taking money. We really had a difficult time with it, and Dana's done a good yeah, job. Yeah, that's something I don't struggle with. So. <laughs> <laughs> I just wanted to, to thank all the coaches and communities out there. And the meals yeah. and the gift cards. I mean, people yeah. were just... I think it's we just, still have gift cards it is. that <laughs> the girls haven't gone through yet. <laughs> I mean, just so generous and just, so, you know, it just shows yeah. you there's a lot of really good people. Right. You know? Right. 
And that makes us know that when people are in need, we need to do that too, you know. Right, yeah. I've kind of changed my opinion about helping other people mm. in need. And also when I say I'm going to pray for someone, I actually do pray for them. Because I right. used to, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll say a prayer for you. It's like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> but now it's like when I say a prayer for you, it's yeah. a real one. Right. I mean, mm-hmm. it's coming from where a prayer should come from. Right. And then likewise, when people say that to me, because I still, you know, have people texting me and calling me, hey, we're praying for you. And it's yeah. like I always try to write more than just thank you. I try to write, mm. you know, a couple sentences on a, you know, appreciative mm. of what a prayer means. Yeah. Because I know it does carry weight. Yeah, it sure does. Mm-hmm. Well, Mike and Dana, thank you guys so much for sharing this story and for letting us be a part a small part of the journey of uh, man being in your corner and cheering you on and, and being inspired by this fight and by what God is doing in your life. You guys are awesome. Thank mm-hmm. you so much. Thank, Thank you, you for, having, for us. having us. All right. Well, um, we'll sign off for radio in just a second, Ernesto, but I want to say thanks to our Facebook live audience for tuning in. What you'll want to do, some of you, uh, you'll want to share right now. We've got a few people tuned in, but uh, you'll want to share this and let uh, this story get out of um, not just what Mike and Dana have gone through, but what God is doing and how he can use something that just looks terrible. I mean, an illness and God is bigger than that. So I don't know what you're going through in your life that may just feel like, man, it's just too much. I'm, I'm overwhelmed. It would be so easy for them to have just felt overwhelmed and i just want you to know that god is bigger than whatever you're facing and he wants to help you through it and he wants to speak to you and he wants to encourage you and he wants to give you a promise and i just feel like mike uh, dutson is a miracle and i think that whoever you are today god wants to use you as a miracle as well so be open to that know that he wants to love you know that he wants to reach you and wants to speak to you so that's my last word for facebook live Um, i'm steve teal for very bold ministries this is very bold radio and podcast and anything else you guys want to say goodbye or wave at one of the cameras he'll get the right camera on i know ernesto's done such a great job um ernesto thanks again for uh all you do and um i think that's it for now facebook live so um ernesto if you can sign us off there we appreciate it god bless you guys and wherever you are whatever you're doing be very bold Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.